Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saving Minds, the podcast that uncovers the best of what's new in the search for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease treatments. I'm Shanti Skiffington. And I'm Elliot Goldstein. And we're your hosts. Today, our guest is uh, a very special guest from Barcelona, Spain. His name is Dr. Jose Luis Molinuevo, and he's widely recognized for his clinical research in Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and other protein misfolding diseases. He is currently the scientific director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Program at the Barcelona Beta Brain Research Center, uh, as I mentioned, in Barcelona, Spain. So welcome, Jose Luis. We're so pleased that you're joining us today. Hi, it is my pleasure. I'm excited to be here with both of you today. Thank you, Jose Luis. We're both looking forward to uh, today's discussion. Over to you, Shanti. Fabulous. So, um, Jose Luis, to kick off our conversation, we'd like to begin uh, just by asking our guests if they could share just a bit about their background in Alzheimer's disease and any areas of particular interest. So I am a neurologist by training, and I've been, the last 20 years, I've been focused my research in, in Alzheimer's disease. And, and within that research, from the very beginning, I focused very much in very early stages of the disease. So I was always very much interested in understanding how the disease does start. So 20 years ago, everything was focused at the dementia stage, and progressively, we have been moving earlier and earlier. So part of my interest has brought me to work with many other people, and I've been part uh, of major publications on on the disease uh, definition and framework together with the International Working Group on one side, and also with the NAIA uh, Working Group, in which last year uh, we define the new framework to understand Alzheimer's disease. Part of that interest is very much uh, related with another interest that I had from the very beginning, which is research linking both fluid and imaging biomarkers in order to try to understand the very early uh, pathophysiology of the disease. So, in fact, right now in at the Barcelona Beta Brain Research Center, just to give you an idea on where we are focusing, we have a research cohort that we call Alpha. Alpha comes from Alzheimer's and families because approximately 50% of the people belonging to this cohort have ancestors that developed the disease before age 75. So that's a 3,000 people cohort. And from those 3,000, we have a very particular group, 400, in which we are doing absolutely all the biomarkers that you can do right now. We are doing CSF-based biomarker, we are doing blood-based biomarkers, we are doing amyloid imaging, we are doing tau imaging, we are doing FDG, we are doing MRI. And those are people that are cognitively unimpaired between 45 and 65. So all these biomarkers studies are allowing us to understand what happens very early, even before amyloid starts to deposit in the brain. So now you can have a good idea of my special interest, I would say. That sounds like an amazing study and, and so needed for this industry. Those, the promise of biomarkers to find disease earlier, to usher new therapies faster and more efficiently is just, is just amazing. So th- th- thanks for those comments, Jose Luis. It's, it is very exciting work. Let, let's jump to you know almost today's news, if you like. Um, as we know, Biogen's candidate for Alzheimer's disease 
aducanumab, uh, which we've discussed significantly recently uh, and elsewhere, of course, it's expected to be filed for uh, review and potential approval with the FDA shortly, sometime this quarter, we believe. Um, as you know, there have been mixed feelings overall about this, this product candidate. From your perspective, what does aducanumab do well? What does it really offer? And what are areas for improvement where potentially second-generation approaches uh, may be more valuable? So uh, thank you for the question, Elliot. Um, I think we can approach this question from different perspectives. First of all, uh, a very high-level overview. I think uh, this is great news. I think that for the first time in the field, we have a new mechanism of action that is being submitted uh, to the FDA. So, you know, that means that the data is good enough to be submitted. And it is, this is, you know, great news for the field. I think this is going to impact research in the field, investment. It does impact on the value of the amyloid hypothesis. So, I mean, first high-level answer, great news. And now we can uh, go into more detail in, into aducanumab. So, I mean, from my perspective, one of the things that, that the trials results are showing is that with high doses of aducanumab, if patients are sufficient time exposed to the high dose, we are seeing only not changes on biomarker. We, we, we've seen from the data that amyloid is completely removed, but also we are seeing a clinical benefit. So that's, that's clear from one of the trials. And obviously uh, what they are doing is selecting those patients from the other trials that were exposed to this very high dose sufficient time. And it seems that the data holds. So that's uh, a very first uh, good look. Uh, if we uh, take into detail um, other things, it seems, and this is my opinion, which is also supported by data coming from other compounds. And, and, and let me uh, give you on the whole view, kind of mixing data coming from aducanumab and also from BAN24CO1, because I think that helps us to have a, a very good picture of what these compounds may be doing. Uh, as you can, as you do know, aducanumab and, and BAN24CO1 have similar mechanism of actions. They are not equal, but similar. So when we look at the, at the aducanumab data, one of the questions that we may ask ourselves is where is this benefit coming from? Um, I And this is, again, my personal opinion. I do not think that the benefit is coming from removing the plaques. Uh, I think that the benefit is coming probably from removing toxic soluble species and oligomers. And I can support this also from data from BAN24CO1. Uh, BAN24CO1, as you know, they are undergoing phase three now, but they had a phase two trial. And recently in CETA, they presented data of the extension. The interesting part of the extension was that people, participants uh, of the phase two trials were follow up and they were not given any more uh, BAN24CO1. So they also, in the phase two, they observe, uh, again, similar to aducanumab, not power for efficacy, but similar to aducanumab, they were seeing uh, removal of amyloid plaques. They were seeing some downstream biomarker changes, very similar to the ones seen in, in aducanumab as well. Uh, the interesting part is that in the extension period, 
people were not receiving the compound. So plaques did not grow up again. I mean, uh, there was no more plaque. People were free from plaque during that extended period, but symptoms began uh, to appear and cognitive impairment began to appear uh, similar to that cognitive impairment seen before the beginning of the trial. So I think this may be an indirect, um, uh, an indirect, let's say, um, an indirect evidence. Sorry for that. Yeah, an evidence. That was the word I was looking for. Sorry for the for the time there. So it, this is an indirect evidence that even if plaques uh, do not appear, symptoms may reappear. And I think that is very much linked. When you stop the treatment, the soluble species, the toxic soluble species, the oligomers, began to appear again. So I think those are the ones that with those treatments at this stage of the disease are responsible for the clinical benefit. Very interesting comments. And, you know, I was just going to add in that, um, you know, we've scanned, of course, uh, all of the literature and among all the beta amyloid targeting products, only BAN2401 and aducanumab have shown positive uh, evidence, not just on biomarkers, but positive evidence on clinical symptomatology of a slowing of cognitive decline. Whereas those that um, are targeting broadly plaque or only monomer, for example, have not had any indication of clinical uh, clinical success. So I think you're really on to the key point here. But please go ahead in your discussion. No, so so uh, I mean, um, having said all of this, one of of the things that we are lacking in the field, and obviously we cannot uh, we cannot prove that you know my hypothesis is right or wrong, is that we don't have good measures. Uh, to capture oligomers in CSF. And that will be great. It will, the same way that we have uh, biomarkers for, you know, neurogranin, beta-42, beta-40, p-tau, etc., etc., if we will have a good biomarker measure of oligomers, then we will be, we will be able to prove that really these compounds are acting at that level. And that will be great because uh, that that will give it, give us very good insights of what may be happening if we go earlier in time into you know uh, stages of the disease where there are no symptoms at all, but products are already there, and obviously the toxic species are very very active. So just to summarize, I think what we are seeing for the first time with aducanumab and potentially with one twenty four zero one is that we have other mechanism of actions that are targeting uh, soluble toxic species plus plaques, and we are seeing a clinical benefit. And right now, in my uh, opinion, this particular benefit may be coming from the removing of the oligomers and the toxic soluble species based on the data that we have seen, both with aducanumab and BAN2401, including the extended period. Yeah, Jose Luis, thank you, thank you so much for those comments. And you know, in light of what you've just said, um, and you know, of course, recently Roche and Lilly announced late stage failures of their two drug candidates, antibody candidates. Uh, there were also beta amyloid targeting drugs, which once again has caused you know more you know questions about should we continue to target amyloid beta in Alzheimer's disease? I think you've made a very strong case in favor of aducanumab and BAN241. But or do, do all of these failures in the past, over the past two decades almost, reinforce the need to selectively target the correct form of the, uh, amyloid beta 
In other words, selectively target the toxic oligomers. Um, I think you've already stated your view, but perhaps just focus just on that question. Yeah, I, 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 as you said, Elliot, uh, I already stated my view. I think oligomers and toxic species are very, very important. In fact, we could consider plaques as reservoir of these toxic species mm. as well. So when we are removing the plaques, we are indirectly helping, but for sure, we have to target uh, the oligomer and the soluble toxic species as well. Regarding the beginning of your question, I I do think that the Roche, Gantenorumab, and Lilisolanosumab are very different compounds. Yes, I think they target different species. So so, and I think you are uh, right now mentioning the Diane TU Correct. results. I I can imagine. So the Diane TU design, we have to keep in mind that the design is very different to a traditional trial, and specifically, it's very different because we are targeting uh, patients uh, that not only are mutation carriers, but that they are at different stages of the disease. So that that adds an additional complexity when you power the trial. So I would be very careful in considering that, uh, that these compounds do not work only based on this trial. So uh, Lily's case may be a little bit different because already in traditional trials, uh, solanosumab has not been able to show benefit. Uh, Rojgantenerumab, I would be cautious okay. uh, because uh, at, at the same time, uh, it does uh, also uh, work on different kind of species. So if I'm not mistaken, gantenerumab also uh, tackles plaques and also uh, works on soluble species as well, uh, including oligomers. So uh, I think Gantt's mechanism of action is way broader than Sola. So in that in that sense, uh, and I know, and as well as you know, that Roche is uh, in other trials increasing the dose and aiming for higher doses of and higher exposure to uh, gantenerumab. So I will still be uh, open very much to Gante, and I will. I think we have to look in detail not only the uh, primary endpoints of the Diane-TU trial, but it's very important to understand the biomarkers. If we are seeing downstream impact, for example, with gantenerumab, and we are not seeing that uh, with, with solanosumab, I think the message is different, and, or the other way around. Uh, but the, the mechanism is very important. And, and the impact on the biomarkers, especially in the Diane-TU design, is going to be key to understand if those compounds potentially still may work. So having said so, uh, as, as you can imagine, I'm still in favor on the amyloid hypothesis, but not just um, uh, from the perspective that I think that we have to remove plaques. I think if we take into account that amyloid, and I used to say amyloid dismetabolism starts very early on, and that uh, metabolism that is not working properly, we know it can be from different perspectives. When you're a mutation carrier, you are overproducing. When you are in, let's say, sporadic Alzheimer's disease, you have a problem with clearance. But at the end, it's a abnormal metabolism of the APP protein. And we know that happens at the very beginning. And I can tell you, we have data in-house that we will be presented at AAIC that when that happens, all the other biomarker cascades start to, uh, let's say, run wild. So that is at the very beginning. 
which sets up the, all the other uh, biomarkers and physiopathological cascades. So I do believe that we have to tackle amyloid very early. And very likely, I don't think the plaques are the major problem, but very likely both the toxic species and probably the carboxy terminal part that goes into the nucleus of the cell may have something to say as well, uh, especially in, into um, activating other cascades. Um, with all of this, just to summarize, I think amyloid is important. Amyloid is important in triggering the different uh, physiopathological cascades. I think the soluble uh, part have a major part in this and target them early is going to be especially important. Th- th- thank you, Jose Luis, for that. Um, <clears throat> uh, just, just building, I'm going to ask more of a behavioral question. It's something that intrigues us at, at, at Promise and, and, and elsewhere as well. And, you know, as you know, there are literally several thousand scientific papers that point to the toxic role of amyloid, misfolded amyloid beta oligomers, um, even since 2013. I, I believe there's over 2,000 papers. Uh, you have considerable expertise here, of course. Um, so more from the behavioral st- standpoint, why do you feel it's taken drug developers and those who, you know, in the field so long to aim therapy selectively at the correct amyloid target. As you've said, the toxic species, the misfolded oligomers of amyloid beta. Um, I think we've known for quite some time, at least from the literature we've reviewed, that plaque, amyloid plaque, is not really the toxic species or target. Um, It's an indicator of amyloid overload, but it's not what's killing neurons. Um, So why has it been taken almost 20 years for the field to come around? We have our own view on that, but we'd love to hear your expert view on that. Again, it's more of a behavioral question. Yes, uh, I think you're hitting the right point. I mean, uh, we have to go back and and first uh, remember how Alzheimer's disease has been understood until very recently. Uh, So, you know, 20 years ago, when these trials were starting to be designed, Alzheimer's disease was understood as mild, moderate, dementia of the Alzheimer's type. So anything prior to that was not considered Alzheimer's disease. And in fact, in order to make the diagnosis, you didn't need biomarkers. And we know that that means two things. One is that you are targeting a very late stage of the disease. We know that those people that are at the mild or moderate dementia stage of the disease, from a biological perspective, the disease has been there for over 20 years. So if you want to really modify the physiology or the physiopathology of the disease, when the disease has been causing harm for over 20 years, that is very obvious that it's very complex and very hard. So it's like trying to cure a hepatitis when the liver is in the cirrhosis stage. It's not going to happen. So you have to go early on. The other thing, uh, because biomarkers were not used, is that 30% of your target population, and this has been shown even uh, using data coming from from trials, 30% of the population that entered the trial that were diagnosed as Alzheimer's disease did not have Alzheimer's disease pathology. So that makes very hard to design the adequate trials and we've been doing this over and over for quite some time until I would say 
The first trial that decided to move a little bit earlier was Roche with, uh, with one of the Gantenero math trial. And from there, Budgen uh, uh, and ASI and other companies are moving a little bit earlier. But that brings me to, for me, and this again, this is my personal opinion, but I think when we try to develop a compound, uh, the very early trials should have a design which can show several things, target engagement and also proof of mechanism. So in order to do that, you have to have a very well phenotyped population in which in, in where uh, biomarkers are key, are key to understand the target engagement and are key to understand that proof of mechanism. And I think we need that step and we need to consolidate that step before we try to have a signal on cognition or anything. Or you may try to have a signal on cognition, but that shouldn't be the major thing. The major thing should be target engagement and proof of mechanism. And that is something that somehow has been neglected in many, many, many trials. When you go back and look at all the trials, that was never clearly shown. And the third thing I would say, and we have uh, somehow discussed it already, is that uh, all the trials were focusing in the plaques. And as we have already mentioned, the plaques, I do think they are a reservoir for two reasons. I mean, plaques stay there for many, many years. But before plaques appear, there are many things happening. And already uh, we can see an impact, for example, on on synaptic uh, markers even before plaques are fully deposited in the brain. So plaques are potentially a reservoir and the, you know, the, the soluble toxic species haven't been considered, I would say, until recently. And I think that there is going to be more and more evidence probably coming up in the future showing the role of the uh, toxic uh, oligomers and toxic soluble species. And certainly we need more awareness um, of the need for understanding the right species to target. Um, you know, maybe we could switch back to your biomarker research. I know you mentioned some new research you have, and I certainly don't want you to pre-disclose anything, but, but maybe quickly in broad brushstrokes, you could talk about what the existing biomarker research will have on the future availability of treatment. So maybe, you know, take a look out into the future and, and Tell us what things might be like once these new biomarkers are validated. Yeah, I, I, I think there are, there are going to be two major uh, big changes associated with biomarker research. One is that uh, now we are using, uh, let's say, a plethora of biomarkers. We are using many, many biomarkers. So we are now we are not only studying amyloid biology or tau biology, we are also studying the synapses, we are also studying inflammation, we are studying neurodegeneration with different biomarkers. And, you know, as I said before, in, in our particular cohort, and in another cohort all over the world, we are going to be understanding very early on how the different physiopathological cascades are interrelated, how they interplay, what is the impact on a structure very early on in on the course of the disease. So I think that is going to bring light uh, on how early all those changes do happen and appear. So that's, for me, one of the major things that are going to be happening regarding biomarker. The other is going to be blood-based biomarker. Blood-based biomarker are almost there. 
I mean, we have seen data coming from different labs showing that, you know, the use of both uh, amyloid-based biomarkers and tau-based biomarkers in blood can give you a very good selection of those uh, patients that have underlying Alzheimer's uh, pathology. So uh, there are still a couple of steps that are needed. We need to be able uh, to make high-throughput systems to be able to perform and use those biomarkers in a broader population, but th this is going to happen. So you can imagine the impact that is going to have the use of blood-based biomarker on selecting potential uh, participants or patients, depending on the stage of the disease, for upcoming trials. And in the future, if we have a, a compound that works, that can be key also for uh, deciding who may potentially be receiving the treatment. So I think those are going to be two of the major uh, things that are going to happen in regarding biomarker. I think that's going to also help to, to stratify uh, and select participants for trials. And, and trials are going to be uh, start focusing on very well phenotype population, especially those trials with compounds that may have different mechanisms, for example, targeting TREM. So now we have the biomarkers to select those participants, even as a function of TREM levels, if we want to. So, I mean, this is going to set stage for new trial designs and potentially new mechanisms and compounds. And I think that's why so many have been saying that this year and this decade is going to spark a real turning point in this disease. So I guess just in closing, you, you already gave us some really positive uh, information about the future, but in closing, what do you think this current year will bring in terms of Alzheimer's disease? What do you think will be the highlight? So uh, I hope that, you know, we have a new compound available for our patients. I am aware that will that will mean a huge change from many different perspectives. But I think that in the medium long term that will definitely benefit very much the field. So that's one. Uh, I think uh, based in my previous answer, I think we are going to be having better trial designs. I, th I think trial designs are improving uh, constantly and that is going to be the case in 2020. And I have uh, many hopes for uh, new compounds, both targeting amyloid with very specific mechanism of actions and even other targets. So I really do think uh, that, that the future still is bright. I mean, it's a very complex disease. It's a disease that starts affecting the brain 20 years before symptom onset. We have to keep in mind so we are not discouraged. But right now, everything is pointing towards hope. And I keep my hope up. And I think, you know, 2020 will bring all these uh, wonderful things. Well, we really appreciate your time joining us today. We're very grateful for your groundbreaking breaking research, and we hope that you'll come back and join our podcast again sometime. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Jose Luis, for joining us today. We'd love to follow up after the AAIC, after your presentation and others, in particular as it relates to biomarkers and all these exciting developments. So once again, thank you very much for today, your time today. Thank you.